Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to One Mic Night Talk, the podcast that brings you real talk and wants you to get involved. My name is Marco Suisse, and I'm here with my co-host. Stephen Anthony Beasley, what's going on? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we have a lot to talk about today. So first of all, thank you guys for joining us for this. As you know, One Mic Night Talk, you can find us on all the digital platforms, and we are having a live chat at 8 p.m. every Tuesday night, so I hope you join us. What are we talking about today? Let's get into it. Yeah. So, Stefan, you are recently a father. Congratulations oh, on that. Yeah. Thank you. A little less recently. Uh, now she is 10 months. She was 10 months on the 19th. 10 so. months old, man. How do, you, how do you feel navigating the world as a father? Mm, it is... 200% harder than any other iteration of my life and I knew that going in and I'm really grateful that I had the um, I feel like when my wife and I were courting that I treated it like a dress rehearsal of what our married life would be she had a son at that point who is now my bonus son who's eight and so from three, four, and five, that was sort of this like dress rehearsal. And then we all um, came to live with each other right literally three weeks before the pandemic. That's a beautiful day. Wait a minute, you just said, you yeah. said bonus son? Yeah, I say bonus instead. If, if it's a really, if it's a formal setting, I'll say stepson, but you know, in a more conversational setting, I'll say bonus son. He actually doesn't really like that term. Weird. Interesting. That's mm -hmm. interesting because I was going to say, you know, that's that's one of those things where words have power. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like are you a lot more conscious about what you say, you know, as a as a as a parent um, now? I'm incredibly conscious about yeah. the conversations that I have and that I allow to be around him. I honestly think that because he is a black boy who has grown to grow up into a black young man and a black man in this society um that and to make no mistake his father is incredibly active in his life and, and is a good father but i almost feel like over the course of my time being a parent i'm probably going to place more of a premium about what actually goes on around him and happens to him because I almost feel like this is going to be really crazy to say but I almost feel like black women instinctively have a little bit more um, social capital about who they are than mm. black men do at this point mm. in time in history, I feel, and it's amazing and it's powerful and it's life-changing and they've always shaped the world, changed the world, made the world a better place. And I feel like, I, I feel like black women are in this place where they know that. Right. And, and they also are like taking better care of themselves and like there's a narrative that's going on in the culture where we're like protecting black girls and black women more. Like, like a conscious effort. 
Yeah, yeah there's a yeah. real conscious effort. And there is the same happening for black boys and black men, but it's it's not at that level yet. For me, it's here and here. This is, and this so is, I'm I love scared. this. I love that you say this because this is, you're exactly right. I feel like it's more vocal for black women right now. You see, yeah. even in media, you see a rising number of programs and things that are happening for black yeah. women and, you know, women of color. You don't hear so much about black men, movements you, of black men as much as you do about women because, yeah. you know, I, I, like I said, even in the, just in the media, you yeah. see like all the women support groups, all the women um, get together and they're holding events to empower each other. Mm -hmm. You know, the women who come out and vote and change yeah. a nation. Well, black women are also the most educated people per capita in this country too. Yes. I believe that it's still data that's relevant. Um, I think for me, it's not that it's not happening. I just, I, and again, this is not a data point and I'm, I'm willing to debate with this about anyone. I just feel like it's about a decade behind the yeah, culture. For sure, for and sure. In, in its culture, in its saturation, in its practice. Um, and then also I just feel like, you know, Black masculinity is just so complicated and so fragile and they're just, they're so sensitive. And what mean? will happen, huh? How do you mean? I just feel like, and this is just, just goes for little boys in general, like the way they're spoken to, disciplined and socialized in their formative years frames how they will navigate the world and how they will treat people and have all sort of indicators for their total health that yeah, people can just go google that whatever like i mean you know like it has it has implications on their entire lives i just coming into this person's life at, at these ages um, and particularly having um, the kind of presence that I had at the kindergarten, first grade level, I just really, yeah, I feel like I'm always going to be hypersensitive about like what is going on with that person and how they feel every day and what they're exposed to and what they think just because I just have all of these intimate relationships with folks who had very negative or um, just influences in that time in their life that just shaped them at 50, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I think, I think you're exactly right. And I think you hit the nail right on the head. I think that, you know, as a child, you know, you, you, uh, as a black male, you know, a little boy, they, they tell you to be macho. You know, you're the man of the house because a lot of times, unfortunately, the father figure is not there. So you're the man of the house. So you're already put in this position at a young age. Don't cry. Something hurts. Don't cry. Stop crying. You know what I mean? Like all these things that they're telling you to do. And as you grow up, you still have that in your mind. It's an experience that you've had since you were a child. And then you 
don't know how to relate to women. You don't know how to relate in relationships with other people because you've been told to, to, to react and respond a certain way in relationships or about yourself, mm -hmm. about but, hurt. Absolutely. But what's interesting is the narrative that you just brought forward is still happening, yes. But actually, when you look at a lot of data around the presence of fathers and kids' life, like, actually, Black dads are actually a lot more present. And there actually is a lot of work happening with Black boys in communities across the country, across the world. But the narrative that you just explained is so intergenerationally present and valid and ingrained in our consciousness from our um, from our immediate environments and from the environments that the media has also created. Um, because there are so many stories and a lot of those stories are true, but there's also just as many stories, just as much going on to swing that pendulum in the other direction. And it's really so, it's so complicated because when I, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a good person quoting statistics, but when I looked at the actual statistics of the present black dads, I was astonished, currently, I was astonished by how good it was because I grew up thinking the same things that you are saying that are your lived experience and of the people around you. And they were lived experiences of folks around me too. It wasn't necessarily my lived experience. There were parts of it that, that were, but um, that's why I say it's still a bit behind because we're not, it's, it's just, like I said, it's, just, it's, it's, it's not there. But at the same time, there's another thing happening and it's so interesting that I have, you know, a black boy and a black girl, I also can't be so sensitive around my bonus son that like this daughter is like by default gonna be the stronger character even though she's only 10 months old. And like secretly kind of the way I'm socialized, like the way uh, part of the way that I was socialized as a black person is that women were kind of and it's really hard for me to rewire my way of thinking around that like to um allow my wife to be vulnerable in certain ways and to before I get into um, having this little girl be stronger than she should be or more grown up than she should be too mm -hmm. early. Right. Like, it's gonna be really interesting to me because the more I go into the journey of fatherhood and being someone's husband and being black, I, I realize that I have so much of the right information and I have really good reference points but I also have a lot of stuff to rewire. Um, Absolutely. 
candid point, I don't know how much of it you can hear. I live very close to JFK Airport here in New York City, so you there will be planes, and I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, can't hear anything, actually. Can't hear anything at all. Zoom is doing its job for the background, um, for the background feature. But but yeah, um, what I'm interested in is that I've known you for many years, and I've known you in your familial circles to take on. Um, I don't know if you would call them fatherly roles, but I would call them definitely um, uh, patriarchal uh, roles. Um, caretaker roles um, and I, I've always in the back of my mind I actually was wondering as we were crafting this conversation or, over the course of this week like have you thought about being a father is that something you're thinking about or are you all set with like the amazing contribution that you have <laughs> given to, um, to to folks while they that's, were young people that's a good question um I wouldn't mind being a father I feel like right now I'm I'm okay with where I am because I still have, you know, a big guy that that sort of looks to me for answers. And the amazing part is that I look to him for answers also. Oh. His birthday is tomorrow, you know. Oh. And um, you know, we we've gone on this journey in the last couple of years where we've got much much closer because a large part of my our lives I was out pursuing what I had to do, but I was doing the check in. I was still responsible. You know, and, and making sure that I was secure financially and things like that, so that uh, everything else could happen. So yeah, just in the last couple of years, you know, we've we've gotten really, really close, and um, you know, we help each other now. Very, very intelligent, and I look to him for a lot of things too. Um, you know, business-wise, financial-wise, we exchange a lot of information. So. Yeah, no, I'm, I think I'm okay with that. I mean, I'd be happy, you know, when he's ready to have kids, if, when and if he's ready to have kids. Um, but yeah, as far as me, I think I'm okay. I think uh -huh. I'm okay. I mean, I, I have enough love to go around. So I, you know, I just love on everybody. So that's uh -huh. that's enough for me. That's good stuff. Yeah. yeah your fatherhood in, um, as an adult, I mean, that, he, my father, that is really where he has shown up. I mean, I honestly believe that it is an incredible piece of social capital for me to have had an active Black father in my adult life, like someone where as I was fumbling through all of the iterations of my life in New York City and as a musician and for a time as an actor and then this um, and then always someone who works in public health and being really passionate about that like at every impasse or fail um, and not that it was like these cheesy pep talks or like any of this sort of like coming in to rescue me kind of things it was someone it was sort of my real father, like giving me worth without really having to say that I had, like I just, it it helped me build my worth even though I have a negative net worth. <laughs> like, <laughs> it might not be negative anymore. I don't think it's I, negative. <laughs> yeah, that's the house. But like, I think that like, um, it, that's, it's incredible like what fatherhood can do for 
a man in their adult life is equally as important um, as what it can do in childhood. And so that's another reason why I'm so glad that I did not begin this journey earlier in life or that it wasn't began for me <laughs> the way that it was begun for my father. Like, I, I'm just so grateful to have had a life before this because what I was processing as I was courting my wife and there was this person who was becoming more and more attached to me and then the these negotiations about the fact that there will be other beings coming into the world yeah. uh, <laughs> was that this is really, it's a lifelong commitment. It is not something that, you know, that kind of stops on this day where somebody like goes to live on their own or goes to college or whatever. That they're, that this person is a, um, an integral part of what you need to have bandwidth to support for all of your life. Right. And that bandwidth is different at different points. That's interesting because I feel the same way now too with him. Mm -hmm. You know, even in my adult life, and mm -hmm. he's an adult now, mm -hmm. you know, we just becoming closer and closer. And as I said before, we exchange information and mm -hmm. we learn from each other. I feel like, you know, right now it's me and him for mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. That's my right hand man, mm -hmm. you know, and we have my mother. So the three of us, that's like the Trinity. You know, okay. and it's interesting because, you know, obviously he and her, they, he and she have a different relationship than he and I do and she mm -hmm. and him. So it's it's just like interesting dynamics. But mm -hmm. at the same time, we know we're all joined as a force. Good stuff. So, and yeah. it's very, that's very inspiring for me. I think that I um, it your dynamic in that aspect um, and a few other folks that I'm close to really convicts me about um, what should my role be in sort of um, having that relationship have a little bit more reciprocity. Like what are the things that I should be contributing to my father's life and what should I be contributing to his efforts in like um, uh, assisting my grandmother. But a caveat, I mean, nobody's really doing too too much for my grandmother. She's she's in her almost mid eighties, and she might pop out and go to work every once in a while, like you know um, something she was really passionate about doing in the last like phase of her career. Like sometimes she might go do that for a, a bit, you know, it's like a day. But like she pretty much, um, but yeah, it makes me think about how is that relationship going to be fully reciprocal as time goes on. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting to know about you, the, yeah. what you shared. Yeah, it's interesting to learn because I, you know, I feel like I'm learning every day, you know, and I'm strengthening relationships, you know, and just to, just like I said, I spoke to him a few minutes ago. We spoke, we've talked twice a day. You know, oh, wow. He's in Dallas. Mm. So, you know, he's navigating his life there. And I feel, I feel great when he calls me and asks me for advice mm -hmm. as I do for him. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting thing. And, yeah, I was. Late. Yeah, I was taxing. I feel like I was a little taxing <clears throat> to my father for uh, the last five. Like I, in the last year, I dialed it back a bit and saved a couple of things for my therapist because I feel like 
that that last five years, I might have been a little too. Again, not that he has to fix anything, but just like kind of calling with this kind of like say something about this kind of thing. So I need to I need to find a, a middle ground in that. But anyway. Yeah, let's 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 talk about that a little bit too, because there's always a stigma. You just mentioned something that, you know, I think we as uh, people of color mm-hmm. grapple with, and that's therapy. Wow. And finding ourselves and figuring out where we can, you know, be at peace in our mind and be complete. Um, I personally think that we all need it. I think there's blockage that we all have in some way, um, and I'm all for it. How do you? How did you feel doing it the first time? And how did you feel like it was something that you needed to do? I think the first time that I engaged in therapy was my freshman year of college because on a visit home, I had an aunt who was in her late 70s at the time who was really still grappling with a lot of things that had happened with her mother. And I was just like, there is no fucking way that I am going to be a senior citizen still mad at these people about the 1980s and the 1990s. So there was a free therapist on campus. And I mean, I went on an archeological dig. I don't, whatever, it was some day where I didn't have a lot of classes. And I think this woman let me see her for two hours uh, every week for like a semester. And, When I got home on the break from that semester, I went a little hard with everybody. I mean, I was, I, it's awful. I left my, I was, I was still a little scared of my mother. So I left her a voicemail. And <laughs> I, feel, I feel really bad about that because it was actually a really bad day. And I was very thorough in that voicemail. <laughs> um, it was a bad day for her to receive that information. Mm. Um, and, you know, I just, I just started, and so that cleanse, that first cleanse was just so great. And I think that it did something for me to like be this person in my late teens, like rectifying everything from like my earlier teens in my childhood or thinking that it was, because of course, like, you know, it's a work in progress. And then I think the next time that I was active in therapy, or when I began to be active in therapy in my adult life was in my mid twenties. And that was to process a lot of the things that had happened in my late teens and early twenties as I transitioned out of like being a student to being an adult. And there were just a few situations that I got myself that I was adjacent to and got myself into that for me were just psycho-emotionally very dangerous. Mm -hmm. I definitely, um, like in, in the practice of psychiatry, like they have like all of these scales of levels of, um, disorder. And I, um, it's interesting. Like I'm just, I'm right beneath the, the, the tipping point of like severe anxiety, but you know, I just, there were things that had happened to me and around me that I was like, 
oh no, we have to, I have to figure out how to work with my mind to be able to accept what these things were and to also create um, just, just a better practice of living. And then a little bit later in my life, it was like late 20s, early 30s, it was all about like self-acceptance and self-love because I had really sort of, you know, there were all these arbitrary deadlines that I didn't miss, that I didn't meet. And um, I thought that I had just really missed the mark about like what was poured into me and who I ended up being. And um, I did a lot of work on that. So yeah, I, I mean, it's it's been a practice of mine for um, 25 years. Wow. Because I just, yeah, I, and yeah, I really am into it. I think that there are times where I might not use it. I might not use therapy with the purest of intentions. There are times that I use therapy. I almost weaponize it because I'll, I will go in there with the intention of like rehearsing what my dynamics within a relationship are um, or my um, yeah I there's a lot of like strategy stuff that I do that might not that might not be I wouldn't say unmoral but I just feel like maybe just a little bit too calculating. I feel like there, it almost gets to a point where I will spend too much time talking through my life instead of just living it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, I mean. And I think, yeah, you're right. I think the point of the whole therapy is to go in with open, to be open and allow, you know, allow yourself to uh, find a place of peace and maybe some answers and, you know, to whatever's been going on in your life wherever you need to go in your life so the point of it is it, it is to go is to be open you know and you certainly can't go in there being calculating and you know trying to figure that whole thing out uh, i don't know i disagree i disagree i think there's a place to be calculated in your therapy practice especially when you're trying to navigate a situation that has caused you harm or you're trying to create boundaries to have better practices in life and better relationships. Um, I... That's the point of therapy. That's not necessarily being calculating. Yeah, that's, that's the point. That, that calculating is good, yeah, but that is. I think that there was a moment where I was going to therapy with every single relationship in my life and being a bit obsessive about how I was showing up in all of these spaces. And I had to check myself to see if I was like being manipulative. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, I, there's this thing called a 360 review <laughs> um, that I heard about on a podcast, 10% uh, Happier. It's got in Dan Harris and he did a 360 review, like a personal one and a professional one. And I wonder if there are people in my life who feel like 
I may have been too like calculating in our relationships. And what it comes from on my part was there there what for me to be more reciprocal, like I was talking about, like I mentioned with my father. And my mother actually checked me on that a few years before as well. So like, I don't know, I, I uh, therapy's great, but yeah, I think that there's always, there's always ways you can check your, check your motivations, check, check your, your motivation. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, it should be accessible to everybody. Yeah, I mean, you know, and um, it's not for everyone. Other people, people have ways to deal with, you know, whatever they deal with. Mm-hmm. And as I'm, as I'm told by a certain person in my life, but uh, you know, <laughs> you know, I think it should be accessible to everyone, especially now. Uh, Post pandemic is is one good example of when we all need it. We have PTSD from this mask and the scariness of catching, you know, all these diseases and all these other things too. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have to find some therapeutic ways to, to deal with that. Yeah, like, it's not for everybody. Like some people really get much more out of physical activity and uh, a lot of other things. But. How do you find, how do you find um, me time? That's one way to, to do it. Me time? Yeah. I think me time is so different for different people. My me time, I think my me time has always been being able to sort of roam around and that was really clipped in the pandemic and then in as the pandemic has worn on because we're still in it like as it's worn on and I think that a lot of us who have small children or have situations where um they have family members that may be a little bit more vulnerable. Um, we definitely, you know, still feel those residual effects. So there is, yeah, that, it, this roaming, I would just roam the streets, you know, um, and I'm figuring out how to get that feeling of me time being a little more stationary. Um, I also, I've gotten a lot of me time in the days that I go back to the office now. I really have been very particular about making sure that I prioritize my workday in a way where there is a full lunch. Mm-hmm. I also, yeah, yeah I also yeah. figure out a way to get to the area I work to a bit earlier so I can, you know, roam. Um, great thankful for my daughter's uh, daycare where I can pick her up a little bit later because maybe if work is done a little bit late earlier I can take a walk a little bit before I journey to you know the other side of town so I'm snatching those moments figuring out when I can roam and kind of just check out what does me time look like for you um I kind of have me time every day um I think just living alone living solo is me time mm-hmm. you know like yesterday i had me time all day i do things i think a big part of it is doing things like you just said is doing it at your own pace mm-hmm. knowing that you have something to do but if you're yeah. able to do it at your pace 
it really kind of alleviates a lot of the anxiety and the stress of doing what you have to do. You know, so you could take a few more minutes to, to you know, to, to, to get it done. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest thing for me. I do the same thing too. I go to my nine to five a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. So I do it at my pace. I set up everything at my pace. Mm -hmm. So that's that's me time. I also like, you know, I'm, I'm no stranger to go to the theater by myself or go to a movie by myself, mm -hmm. you know, or do any of those things. So yeah, that's I do those things and that's me time. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, I think that's about it for us today. I think we've covered a lot of grounds. Yeah. Let everybody know how they can get in touch with you. I am Stephanie Anthony Beasley on Facebook, on Instagram. I'm that Stephanie Anthony Beasley, but there's also a hacked page that you can check out because that's my whole <laughs> Stephanie Anthony Beasley. Um, <laughs> my hacker's hilarious. We could do a whole episode on my hacker. He's, he's funny. Um, he's still trying to get Bitcoin out of me. Uh, I've had anyway. one of those too. I've had one of those too. Mm -hmm. It's like, do it by the end of the day. I'm going to leave work. Right. Oh, this is my job. All right. Um, so Stephanie Anthony Beasley on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. Uh, you can see the past 15 years of live and virtual performances uh, from mute my music. And you can also um, connect uh, and hear more of my uh, interviews and podcasts on my SoundCloud, which is Stephanie Anthony Beasley, and on a recent episode of Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC Studios. A very good episode, I might add. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Make sure you check this. that out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love this too. I'm, I'm glad we got together to do this, and I hope that people. Uh, yeah, get something from it and we'll get some more conversation going next week. That's right. So I want to thank you guys all for joining us for One Mike Night Talk. Please let us know down in the comments below what you'd like about this episode. And if there's something you'd like us to talk about, we appreciate you. You can follow me at Marcos Luis, M-A-R-C-O-S-L-U-I-S. -S. Go to the dot com, find out what I'm doing. Hit me up on Instagram on the DM. Slide on in there. Let me know what's up. Also, make sure you check out One Mic Night Podcast with Marco Suisse every Thursday night, interviewing the artist. Check out Stephen Anthony Beasley's episode and let me know what you think, giving you the inspiring journeys of artists and people to help you get through your day. This is One Mic Night Talk. You can find us on all digital platforms at One Mic Night Talk. Thank you for joining me for this episode. We'll see you next time. We out.